scripture reading this morning will come from the 15th chapter of Matthew, starting at verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, True, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her and, said, and answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. We have a lot of visitors with us this morning. Happy Mother's Day. I know that many are in town or uh, come to visit family and, and especially honor our mothers today. And we're thankful for godly mothers. We're thankful for those who brought us into this world and have nurtured us and cared for us. We give God glory because of our mothers. It's a good thing to give honor to mothers. A couple of things just for your notes to, to think about in the next few weeks coming up. Uh, two weeks from today, on May 23rd, Lord willing, we'll have our summer intern with us. His name is K.J. Moore. Uh, you'll be hearing more about him. He, uh, he is actually going to help teach the Sunday morning auditorium class, if you've seen that on the handouts. K.J. is a graduate student at Freed Hardeman University. Uh, very, very humble, very, very intelligent young man. I think you'll enjoy getting to know K.J. this summer. He's going to be staying with Steve and Carrie Sadler. We thank Stephen Carey Sadler for taking care of all kinds of people. They're wonderful, wonderful people, and, and we're thankful for them. By the way, our internship program over the summers, we've been relying on members to house people in their homes. And so uh, last summer, Anthony Scherfus stayed with Archana and Darm Verma, and we're thankful very much for their agreeing to let Anthony stay with them. And then two summers ago, of course, Braden stayed with Tom and Kathy, which I don't think Braden would have stayed anywhere else. I don't think Tom and Kathy would have, would have agreed to that since there is grandparents. We're thankful, though, very much for those who have given up their homes and allowed our interns to stay with them. And if you've thought about doing that in the future as, as we continue with this program during the summers, just let me or Jordan know because we'd like to have maybe a, a, it's always worked out and we're very thankful, but um, who might be willing to, to let somebody stay with them for a summer. Uh, one other thing, two weeks from today, I believe uh, Brother Eric Winkler is scheduled to be graduating from Bear Valley Bible Institute of Denver. And we're thankful for his progress and for his preparation. Uh, I think he's going to be coming back to Katy for a little bit of time. He's got some options that he's exploring that just haven't been solidified yet. But keep Eric in your prayers, and we're thankful for his time in school. One more thing. On May the 30th, that's three weeks from today... We're going to have a special Sunday that's devoted especially to singing praises to God. And so Andy Baker, who many of you know, is uh, going to be with us on that particular Sunday morning. He's going to teach our combined Bible class in the auditorium, and he's going to give us some instruction on singing praises to God. He's going to be preaching on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and Sunday afternoon there will be a special session at 3.30. This is May the 30th. I know it's Memorial Day weekend, schedules being what they are, everybody's busy, but at 3.30 on that day, on May 30th, there's going to be a special session here in the auditorium for those who can make it as we think about what it means to sing praises to God and how we can praise our God more effectively together. So be looking forward to that on May the 30th. 
Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 15, the passage that Mike read for us just a moment ago. Matthew chapter 15. God encourages you and me to have a faith that endures, a faith that perseveres, a faith that won't quit. Too many people give up too quickly. When it comes to finding a relationship with God, when it comes to finding the blessings that only come from God, too many people grow discouraged and look elsewhere too quickly. But there's an account here in Matthew chapter 15 that we just need to read in its entirety to kind of get a feel for what's going on because it's really surprising. It it unsettles a lot of what we understand and think about Jesus normally. Listen as we read together. Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Matthew 15, 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And Jesus answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Why didn't Jesus help her? I mean, he had the power to do it. Why didn't Jesus just say the word immediately and help her? And not only that... It's not as if it's just this woman that is in need. It's her daughter. It's a little girl who's in need. She's demon-possessed, severely demon-possessed. If you've got the New American Standard, it says cruelly demon-possessed. Whatever the demon that was in her daughter was doing, it was cruel. It was unusual. it It was relentless. And just like every mother cares when their little girl hurts, this mother had so identified with her little, her little girl's problem that she didn't come and say, have mercy on my daughter. She said, have mercy on me. You know, this is, this is important to me. But three times, Jesus more or less doesn't do anything. And almost to add insult to injury, Jesus says something that really sounds offensive. He says, it's not good to take the children's bread, talking about the Jews, and to give it to the little dog's. You calling me a dog? You calling my people a dog? It sounds so unsettling when you read this account. And its parallel account, by the way, is in Mark chapter 7. There's a lot we can learn about faith that perseveres from this particular account of Scripture. God is encouraging you and me to have a faith that comes to Him and petitions and asks and doesn't give up because we really believe we really deep down inside have this conviction that there are some things that only Jesus can fix there are some problems that only God can respond to we need to have a faith that won't give up
As you look at this passage, I want to notice, first of all, verse 21, and notice the Lord's journey. The Bible begins, and you almost would read over this if you weren't paying attention and, and miss some really important things about this account. The Lord's journey. The Bible says in verse 21, he went to a region of Tyre and Sidon. But let's back up for a minute. If you've been reading Matthew, you'll notice that Jesus was trying to find some isolation. He was trying to find a place to rest. And it goes way back to the first part of Matthew 14. In Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12, you have the account of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. And John the Baptist had been beheaded, and Jesus found out about it. And the Bible says in Matthew 14, 13, that Jesus wanted to find an isolated place by himself. He had heard some very sad, very disheartening news. And even though this was part of God's plan and God's will, this was something that was hurtful to Jesus. And Jesus was looking for time away. He had been ministering to the crowds and teaching and doing miracles. But the Bible says that the crowds found him. As you read on in Matthew 14, verse 14, this is the occasion where he feeds the 5,000. The crowds find him and Jesus can't stay away. And so he, he helps, he feeds, he teaches. And then in Matthew 14, verses 22 and 23, the Bible says again, after the feeding of the 5,000, that Jesus puts his disciples in a boat, sends them to the other side. And the scripture says in verse 23 of Matthew 14, that he sent the multitudes away and went up on the mountain by himself to pray. What's Jesus trying to do? He's trying to get away. He's trying to find isolation. He's trying to find rest. And again, people come and they find Jesus. And so then in Matthew chapter 14, verses 34 through 36, he goes across the Sea of Galilee to a place called Gennesaret. That's mostly a Gentile type of region. What's he trying to do? Probably still trying to get away, trying to find isolation, trying to find rest. And the Pharisees come and find him there at Gennesaret. And so then when you get to Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, Jesus doesn't stay in Galilee. That's what's circled on the map there. Jesus goes north and he leaves Israel altogether. Jesus didn't make world missionary tours like Paul did. Paul later on becomes an apostle who goes all over the ancient world. And Andrew and Philip and others, they went all over the place preaching the gospel. But Jesus in his ministry didn't do that. Jesus stayed in Israel with an exception. On this occasion, he goes out of Israel to Tyre and Sidon. Why is he doing that? Because Jesus, everywhere he goes in Galilee, people are constantly coming to him and he's needing to teach and he's needing to have compassion and, and Jesus cares for people. And he's looking for isolation and he's looking for rest. And so in Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark 7 verse 24, the book of Mark says this about Jesus. When he goes to Tyre and Sidon on this occasion, it says he entered a house and he wanted no one to know it. But even in Tyre and Sidon, he could not be hidden. There's a need for all of us to think about the ministry of Jesus and a couple of things that are noteworthy. Jesus was somebody that people regarded as a safe person. They regarded Jesus by the way he conducted his life as someone that they could come to, they could approach, and they could petition, and they could ask for. And Jesus wasn't somebody who was going to be cruel or heartless or mean-spirited. They, they knew that about Jesus, and so people were constantly drawn to him. And Jesus had a ministry to people as a result of that. But there's a need for all of us, including Jesus himself, there's a need for all of us to balance 
to balance ministry to people who need us with rest and isolation and time with our God. There's a need for all of us to find that balance. Jesus had to do it in his ministry, in his life. And so the reason why he's in Tyre and Sidon, there are no Israelites to speak of in Tyre and Sidon. He's left the nation. He's left the country. He's gone up to Syria. But Jesus, even there, finds people that need him. And so as this woman brings her petition, it's important to understand that background and that context. We serve a Savior who in his humanity, while here on this earth, needed time to rest. And wise are Christians when we realize the same thing. You remember Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10? Martha knows that people need her and she's up and she's serving and Mary realizes that the best thing that she can do is to sit at the feet of Jesus for a time. The best thing that some of us can do in our ministries to others is to stop and sit at the feet of Jesus as well. The Lord's journey. Now with that background, look at the woman's plea, verse 22. The scripture says that she comes to him and she says, have mercy on me. And it's interesting, she's a Gentile woman, by the way. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Let's talk about her identity for just a minute. She's a foreigner. She's not an Israelite. She's not a Jew. She's different. She's an outsider. Matthew 15, 22 calls her a Canaanite woman. Back in Genesis chapter 10, the Bible says that the Canaanites, they lived in an area from Sidon all the way down into the south part of Israel. And she's a Canaanite woman. Only place in the New Testament you read the word Canaanite or a woman of Canaan. And then over in Mark, in the same parallel account, the Bible calls her a Gentile, and my favorite word, a Syrophoenician by birth. Syrophoenician. She is Syrian and she is Phoenician, her parents apparently. Phoenicians and Syrians. She has nothing to do with the promises to Abraham. She has nothing to do with being part of the children of Israel. She is an outsider in every sense of the term, this lady who comes to petition Jesus and ask, her, ask him for something. And notice her plea, her deep distress. She is in anguish. And as she comes to Jesus, she says this, have mercy on me. Mercy is saying, treat me better than I deserve. I don't deserve anything, but please, if there's something to give me, please, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Notice that she calls Jesus Lord. She speaks to him with respect. He is a Jewish man, and yet he is a mighty man. He has the power of God, and she knows, and she's heard, there's something special about this individual, about Jesus, and she calls him Lord. She speaks respectfully, no matter what kind of blocks, roadblocks are put in her way. Lord, 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 she calls him. She states her problem emphatically. She doesn't say, my daughter has a demon. She says, my daughter is severely demon-possessed, being tormented cruelly. She wants Jesus to know just how desperate she is. And in Mark 7, 26, she said, the Bible says that she kept asking, she kept begging him. She didn't give up. She had a faith that wouldn't quit. 
Now let's just stop for a moment and ask ourselves the question, why is this woman so determined? Even though there are roadblocks, even though there are all kinds of things that are happening that might be interpreted as discouraging and off-putting, why doesn't she give up? And I'll answer the question this way. This lady has figured out that there's something that Jesus can do that nobody else can. Who else can cast out a demon? Who else can speak a word and the devils depart? Who else can fix this problem for her? Nobody can. If there was one doctor in the world who could cure an incurable disease, don't you know that people would be flocking to that physician? Don't you know that whatever it cost, people would pay the price to fly or drive or walk to wherever that physician was so that they could receive treatment? And that's the way this woman views Jesus. And you know why we sometimes have a faith that quits? The reason we have faith that quits is because we have not identified that there are some problems in our lives that only Jesus can fix. We have a faith that quits because we don't realize that there are some challenges that we face that only God can handle. And so we have a faith that gives up. You know, we ask casually, God, could you bless me with this? But God doesn't bless immediately. And so we just give up and we move on and we remain in our misery and we remain in our state that we were in. This woman has an admirable faith because she knows that Jesus has something that nobody else does. And wise are people today when they realize there is no salvation, there is no cleansing, there is no forgiveness that any of us can obtain unless we get it from Jesus by virtue of what he did for us at the cross. John 14, verse 6. The woman's plea is instructive. The puzzling part, the Lord's response. Jesus does three things in response to this lady, according to the passage in Matthew 15. The Bible says, first of all, that he answers with silence. He doesn't say anything. He answered her not a word. What's going on with Jesus? Jesus is looking for rest. He's looking for isolation. He's going to a house and he doesn't want anybody to know he's in town. He doesn't want anybody to know that, that he's there because everywhere he goes, people need him and they need him and they need him. And Jesus realizes that if you, go, if you don't go back to God, if you don't find your resources and your sufficiency in him and in his grace, if you don't do that, then you end up serving people out of your own strength and that never works out well. And so he answers with silence. That doesn't stop this lady. He answers her not a word, and she's not going to stop asking because she knows he's got what she needs. And so he responds, secondly, with a mission statement. Look at verse 24 carefully. Matthew 15, 24. By the way, the disciples are kind of upset because they say, in verse 23, she's crying out after us. The disciples know why Jesus is in Tyre and Sidon. And they're saying, if this lady doesn't stop hollering, if she doesn't stop crying and begging for mercy, Jesus, other people are going to realize that you're here too. Send her away. She's crying out after us. Tell her to go away. It's not the right day for her daughter to be healed. It's not the right time. Tell her to go away. And Jesus responds with a mission statement in verse 24. Here's his mission statement. He says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In God's plan, you can mark this down, God sent salvation to the Jews first and then to everybody else. That's really important. Because that was what God had always promised. 
that he was going to send salvation to the Jews first and then to everybody else. And when Jesus came into this world, he was born in Israel and he grew up from the tribe of Judah and he talked to and he ministered to people in Israel. And that doesn't mean he didn't have any concern for or compassion for others who were not Israelites, but his primary mission as the Messiah, as the Savior, was to minister and to teach in Israel. It wasn't until his resurrection that he told people, go preach to all the nations, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 16, verse 15. It wasn't until his resurrection that the gospel started going into Gentile regions in a big way. And so Jesus responds with a mission statement. He wants this lady, he wants the apostles, and he wants us to understand, my mission, Jesus says, is to bring the gospel, is to preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In Romans 1.16, famous passage, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is God's power unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. That's what it says in Romans 1.16. Why did Paul say that? Because that's God's plan. It was always God's plan that the gospel was going to go to the Jews first, and it did, Acts chapter 2, and then also to the Gentile, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. God's plan was always this. And Jesus says, this is the plan. I'm working with a plan. I am submitting to my heavenly Father's will. He wants the salvation that's being preached to go to the Jews first. I wasn't sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, the woman perseveres, and then the third thing Jesus says is maybe the most puzzling. First, he uses an image, a metaphor of sheep. I'm a shepherd. I'm going to the lost sheep. The shepherd's rounding up the lost sheep, bringing the house of Israel together. But now he says this, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs or throw it to the little dogs, your translation may say. And people have been puzzling over this for 2,000 years. Why did Jesus say that? You're calling an entire ethnic group dogs. You're calling the, the Israelites children. And you're calling the Gentiles, which is everybody else, dogs. That's what you're doing. Y'all know I'm quirky sometimes. I kind of make lists of, you know how people like to put scriptures on their walls? We've got those in our house, you know. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. You have a little nice looking plaque and you put it up there and it reminds you of God's word. People do that sometimes in their houses in different places. I've often thought this would be a good plaque for the dining room. It's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs, right? <laughs> dogs begging at the table. Nope, sorry, children's bread, not for you. But Jesus says this to a lady whose little girl has a demon. Why does he say this? Why does he make this statement? And some people have said, well, maybe Jesus said it with a twinkle in his eye. Maybe he smiled when he said it, and he was just kind of saying it in a joking type of way, and she perceived that, and that just doesn't come out in the text. I guess that's possible. I also believe that it's possible that Jesus was living in, or he was, he was, he was working in at this point, a Gentile region. And Jews would have nothing to do with dogs. Dogs were unclean. They didn't own dogs as pets. Gentiles did. Maybe Jesus had observed this in the Gentile region. Maybe he'd seen that Gentile families had dogs for pets and that sometimes the children's bread went to the dogs. Maybe he'd seen that. And maybe it wasn't as offensive to her as it seems. But it's still something to struggle with because 
if this woman had an ounce of pride in her, if she had an ounce of, of self-reliance in her, this is when she picks up her toys and takes offense and starts tweeting about how ungracious Jesus is, right? Let's post on tweet, Twitter, let's post on Facebook, can you believe what that Jewish man called me? Can you believe what he said about our people? He called us dogs, little dogs. Why did he do this? Three reasons. Why is he refusing to do a miracle that he's so eminently capable of doing? Three things to think about. Number one, his miracles were strategic. Every miracle had a purpose. And he had just said in verse 24 that his purpose was to persuade Israel, to call back the lost sheep of Israel. There was going to be a time when the miracles were done for the Gentiles, but this was not that time. And his, his miracles were strategic in that way. And maybe that's why he was saying no. Not only that, his miracles were valuable to him. When somebody is wealthy, when somebody has a lot of money, other people who have less money, they think, you know, why couldn't that person just give me a little bit of money? It doesn't mean that much to them. Why couldn't Bill Gates give me a couple thousand dollars? He wouldn't miss it. Why couldn't somebody that has a lot of money? It doesn't mean anything to them. But when it comes to his miraculous power, Jesus has infinite power, infinite ability to perform miracles and to cast out demons, but it's valuable to him. And the question that we have to wrestle with is, all right, this is valuable to God. This is something that's strategic with God. Is it really valuable to me? We ought to think about salvation this way sometimes. Salvation is not heavenly life insurance. It's not just, you know, a get out of jail free card that... Okay, if I just do these things that God has commanded, well, I've got my get-out-of-jail-free card, and I can go on and live my life, and I don't have to have a relationship with God, and I don't have to seek Him, and I don't have to petition Him for anything else. That's not what salvation is. And these miracles and the power that Jesus offers is valuable to Him. He's not just going to throw it away on somebody who just makes an offhanded request. His miracles were regulated by His purpose. Even when he had been hungry for 40 days and 40 nights, had been fasting, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, he wouldn't do a miracle to serve his own purposes. Change these stones into bread, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. If you're really the Son of God, use your miraculous power. Do it, Satan says. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. His miracles were regulated by his purpose. And all of these things are reasons why Jesus doesn't immediately help this woman. He came for a purpose, and he knew what his purpose was, and he understood his mission, and he wasn't going to use something that was precious and valuable. He wasn't going to use it for just anything. A statement worth remembering is this. Not everything in this world that's free is cheap. And especially when it comes to the salvation that God offers you, it may be free in the sense that we don't earn it, but it is not cheap in any sense. And Jesus wanted this woman to understand that principle, and he wants us to understand that as well. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The woman's humility, verse 27. She has got to be one of the cleverest and quick -wit, most quick-witted ladies that you'd ever meet. Because without missing a beat... This woman says, 
in verse 27. Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. You see, I think this was a Gentile illustration. I think that Jesus was using this because he was in a Gentile region and the Gentiles had dogs around their table even though the Jews didn't. And he's just painting a picture. He's not insulting anyone on purpose. He's just saying, this is the picture and and I can't go along with this picture. Notice the woman's humility. First of all, notice what she did not do. She did not turn away in anger. Called me a dog. Called my people dogs. She didn't act like Jesus owed her anything. Who are you? You've got the power of God at your fingertips. You can just speak the word and you owe me. After all, who is it that let the demons loose? Who is it that allows this to happen in this world? She didn't act like Jesus owed her or her daughter anything. She didn't argue that her case was exceptional. Oftentimes when we need something, that's what we do. You go to the government and you need something and you say, I don't, I don't apply here. My, my case is exceptional. It's different. And she doesn't do that with Jesus. She doesn't say, well, I'm unique. About, uh, among all the Gentiles, I'm different. She didn't, and she could have, point out, Jesus, this is my hometown. You're here in my country. You've come to my place, and now you're saying that you weren't sent to anyone except the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Why aren't you there? She didn't do that. She could have made that argument, but she didn't. She didn't become bitter about how God favored the Jews. The Jews were privileged. God chose them out of all the peoples in the world to bring the Messiah into the world. God chose them to bless and to give his law to. God chose them to send the Messiah to. And, and she didn't say, well, God blessed them more than, they, more than he blessed us. She didn't say that and become bitter about that. Yeah, that is God's plan. That is God's purpose, to bless the world through the descendants of Abraham, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. That was his plan always. And she didn't convince herself that she could find a solution elsewhere. I don't know how long her daughter had been demon-possessed, but I suspect she had looked for every possible way to help her daughter. And the only place she could find any hope that her daughter was going to lose that demon was with Jesus. She didn't walk away and say, well, I'll try another person. I'll try another remedy. That's what she didn't do. What did she do? The Bible says she humbled herself. She was persistent, and it wasn't just persistence that helped here. It was humble persistence. J.W. McGarvey, a commentator, remember the Lord's Church many years ago, wrote this. He said, it's hard to know What to admire more about this lady? The readiness of her wit or the depth of her humility? I agree with that. She was quick-witted. Even the children, or even the dogs get some of the children's bread that falls from the table. They drop the crumbs. Can't I just have a crumb? That's quick-witted. But her humility as well. She got down low. That's what humility is. Humility is getting down low. It's forgetting about myself. It's forgetting about all my pride and my ego and, and my, all those things. It's just getting down low. And that's what this lady does. She gets down low because she knows, she knows that Jesus can bless her. And so she gets down low and she remembers and realizes the truth that's taught in James 4 verse 6. That God resists the proud 
When we're full of pride and self and all of those things, God resists us, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's why Jesus answers her request, because she humbles herself. Think about this, if I can illustrate Humility is emptying ourselves. It's forgetting about who I am and where I came from. It's forgetting about my my accomplishments and my achievements and my talents and my abilities and my blessings. It's forgetting about all that stuff and saying, I need you, God. It's emptying ourselves, esteeming others better than ourselves, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. Having the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, verse 5. That's humble. That's humility. If I can illustrate, Jesus can't add anything to a bucket that's already full. If this lady has a full bucket and she's coming to Jesus and saying, have mercy on me, he can't add anything to that bucket. He can't add anything to yours either. Jesus can't heal someone who's already well. Mark 2, 17. I didn't come to bring salvation and healing to those who are well, but those who are sick, Jesus says. I came to call sinners to repentance. If I've already got the answers, and I'm just looking for a little help here, you just can't help someone who's already well. He can't teach someone who already knows it all. Jesus can't show mercy to someone who feels entitled. He needs to help me. He needs to, he needs to serve me. can't help someone who's already entitled. It's humility that opens the door to the grace of God. It has always been that way. And then notice this in verse 28, the Lord's gracious help. Jesus says, let it be as you desire. He merely spoke. He never did anything like what you see in the movies, you know, exorcism of demons and casting out and incantations and holy water and all this stuff. When Jesus cast out a demon, he always just said, go out of her. Or in this case, Let it be as you desire. And when this woman goes home, she finds her daughter in her right mind, free of the demon. He merely spoke. Consider the following. God wants us to have a faith that doesn't give up. He wants us to have a faith like this woman's, a faith that says, no matter what obstacles are in the way and no matter what disappointments I face, there are some things that only God can do and only God can bless me with, and I need those from God. I need them so desperately that there's no depth to which I will not sink in order to humble myself before him. That's the kind of faith that doesn't give up. Consider the following. Humility opens the door to grace. Persistence keeps asking, seeking, and knocking. Jesus says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. But it doesn't always happen the first time. And it doesn't always happen the second time. And sometimes it doesn't even happen the third or fourth or fifth times. And sometimes you ask and seek and knock for years before you see the answer that God gives. That's the way faith is. It takes years and decades sometimes before we see an answer, but faith should persist because we realize there are some knots that only God can untangle. And there are some challenges that only God can overcome. And there are some problems that only God can solve. And faith doesn't give up. Persistence keeps asking, seeking, and knocking. That's what this lady did. And she persisted with humility. 
If I'm proud, if I'm full of myself and I persist, here's the way it sounds. I demand that you do something. I insist on fair treatment. I insist on getting what's, what's due me. That's the way pride sounds. I expect results. I expect change. And sometimes, if we're not careful, our faith can sound like that. God, we demand. We request. This is fair, and you should do it for us. That's persistent with pride. Persistence with humility sounds like this. I humbly request and I beseech your grace, O God. I ask for your mercy that I don't deserve and never could deserve. And I prevail upon who you are. Jesus is a safe person. People can come to Jesus and they can find what they're looking for. He is a safe person because he loves people and he cares for people and he welcomes people and he accepts people and and they can come to him and they prevail upon his goodness. Every blessing we've ever received from God is undeserved. There's not a blessing you've ever received that God owed to you. And there's not a blessing you will ever receive in your future that God somehow owes to you because of the good person you are and the nice, nice things that you do for others. God blesses out of his mercy and out of his abundance, and that helps us to keep ourselves humble. God wants us, all of us, to come to him and realize that there are some things that only he can do and to have a faith that won't quit. How's your faith this morning? Been thinking about giving up? Been considering walking away? I'm going to do something else? There is no place you can go and there's no person you can go to anywhere where you can find the blessings and the salvation and the cleansing that you can find in God alone. Can't find it anywhere else. Don't give up. Keep petitioning. Keep asking. Because that shows not God how much we need, how much he, you know, we need him. We're not informing God of anything. A lot of times it's about us and helping us to remember and know how much we need him. If you need salvation today, heaven's invitation is yours. Come to Jesus Christ. Humble yourself before him. Confess his name. Repent of your sin. Be baptized. If you're ready to make that decision this morning, we can help you. Won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing?